And welcome to the February 11th edition of Swing Thoughts. Coming up on the show today, we'll tell you how you can hang with us live and be part of, I was going to say a live taping, but I'm not 100% sure about that. Uh, I'm Howard Glassman. Yeah, don't make, nah, it's, I don't know. Technology and stuff? Yeah, there's there's some technological issues. There's Tim O'Connor. I'm Howard Glassman, Humble and Fred Show. Tim O'Connor, the mental performance coach at Glen Abbey Academy and O'ConnorGolf.ca and, uh... I think there's some other ways to get a hold of you. I'm not 100% sure. You could phone me, but... Phone Tim. You start with my website, good enough, you know. Is it O'ConnorGolf.ca? Y- yeah, at show 38, you still... Yeah, you got I'm it. just making sure. Yeah, yeah, I like that. That's the, uh, attention to detail. That's what, uh, that's what you do, man. The program... Thank you. well. The program is brought to you by TaylorMade Golf. I mean, so far, I haven't, been in, I haven't really been in touch with Stewie in the last month or so, but... You know, I'm assuming that's going to continue. <laughs> also, I know for sure we're going to be part of Club Link, uh, both of us uh, separately and together. And today on the show, we'll tell you a little bit about being part of the Club Link California trip. Got to play a little winter golf a few weeks ago. Uh, I'd like to acknowledge and send our, our best wishes and our condolences on the passing of your father. Uh, Tim, I don't even think you've told me. Your, I don't know your dad's name. Uh, my dad's name was Dennis. Dennis. Dennis James O'Connor. And Dennis James O'Connor died a couple weeks ago now. By the time it's February 11th, what was the date of his passing? January 30th. Yeah, so that's uh, a week ago from mon- from this past Monday. Why don't we start with that? I mean, all the uh, swing thought hundy peas, the hundred percenters, I'm sure would be... You know, would, would, we'd welcome that knowledge, send good wishes to you. But, you know, let, let's talk about dads and golf. Dennis was a golfer. What kind of golfer was he? Um, well, that's interesting. He was what I call – so I we did an interesting thing at the funeral. And, and so instead of me getting up and giving, like, the eulogy on behalf of my siblings, and there's five of us, I'm the eldest – I had each of us, um, I invited each of them to write something, and I read it. So I read a piece about him being a golfer. And um, you know what? I could read it. That's I'd like that. And uh, let's see if I can make it through it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, well, Or you can just give us the gist of it if there's some. No, you asked what my dad was like. And this, I wrote exactly what my dad was like. They said, my dad was a golfer. Actually, he was an obsessed, practiced in elevators, check out your swing in store windows, searching for the holy grail golf tip, nut bar golfer. And he was a very good golfer. And so my dad at his, it was probably about a four or five. Really? Yeah, in his younger days. And then I, I wrote about how through his influence, uh, as the boys became young adults, he was so proud that we also became pretty darn good golfers. And I recall my dad saying to me, I always look forward to the day that my kids could hit the ball farther than me. And now that that day is here, I'm not sure I like it so much. <laughs> but that was my dad. He, he liked a good line. And um, what, what it really was with my dad and golf in, in that is that he wanted us to excel at whatever we did mm-hmm. and whatever gave us joy. And that, in part, gave him joy. He loved to see us, you know, in whatever we did. So he encouraged us to do what we loved and... He walked his talk that, um, you know, fulfillment comes from doing what you want. So, Did he teach you how to play? Yeah, yeah, he did. But it, I don't recall him, like, um, you know, put the hands on the grip, son, and stand this way. I, I don't recall that stuff. Um, I could just be an old guy. But um, certainly about course management, you know, hitting shots, that type of thing, putting, all of that. Oh, yeah. He it's talked. funny. I, I My earliest recollection of my father, who was never, I don't think he ever got down to a four or five, but he was probably a solid seven or eight handicap his whole life on a you know country course in Moose Jaw. But my dad was the first guy that I knew 
And now looking back on it, I, I get where my golf obsessiveness in terms of swing came from because my dad loved that stuff. Oh yeah, my dad too. My dad had a my dad had a little tiny menswear store in Moose Jaw, like really a small little shop. But at the back of the shop, in between customers, there was a full length mirror where people <laughs> where people could try stuff on. And he would open that curtain, and he had a stick, like about a six foot stick. And I'm telling you, that dude was looking at his grip and his backswing. Six weeks before my dad died, I've told you this story, but I always remember it. This is a perfect example of Lou Glassman. It was six weeks. It was, he died in October, so this is Labor Day, 2006. I'm on the phone with him. He's, about, he's four months shy of his 84th birthday, and he says to me, he goes, yeah, I just came back from playing nine holes. I go, great. He goes, yeah, I'm really having a little trouble uh, with my backswing. And I said, you should be lucky you have a backswing, dude. You're almost 84. My dad was literally worrying about his path. <laughs> a few months before he died. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, that says volumes about the game, and and it says like, I think a lot of why you and I are the way we are about golf and why we do this podcast, and that because it's, you know, our our fathers modeled and mentored that behavior as mm-hmm. obsessive and kind of weird as it, as it is. Uh, my dad was exactly the same in uh, in terms of even though he was. Um, uh, he was at he, my dad had uh, kidney disease, so it really um, it robbed him of his vitality in his last few years. Um, he lost a lot of his uh, musculature, but he still he still ordered from my friend Todd Graves a video on the single plane swing, and a lot of that had to do with me writing a book on it with Todd. But you know, he still was you know talking about the swing and the single plane and all of that. It, you know, I think that was. Uh, in the time in which he still thought he might be able to make a comeback, if mm-hmm. you will. But uh, my dad was, um, he like in his later years, like I particularly, I remember we come and visit him, and he go, you know, we we get the preliminary out of the way, you know, how the kids and all this. Mm-hmm. Stuff. Yeah, sorry. Nice to see you, and then be like, hey Tim, okay, I think I got it here. <laughs> <laughs> you see, when I just get to the top of the backswing, if I just pause there and like you know I used it on the range and it was great and then so a month would go by and I'd be sitting back at the kitchen table with them and um, hey dad how's it going the kids are good the job is good Not every conversation and it's like you know what I think I figured out something in my uh, impact position I'm telling you every conversation I had with my father from the time I left home to six weeks before he died had, it's, it's, it was always the same how are the kids how's the job humble and Fred whatever and then he'd say okay listen just after impact and what I'm doing now is I'm just letting my right hand fold over but I'll tell you what he loved uh, to do is he loved to play with me. He was, uh, you know, I, rem- I recall it like it was a uh, Nestle's Quick commercial. My dad and I played nine holes on Wednesday afternoons because he closed the store early on Wednesdays. It only worked a half day. So it was kind of a tradition. If he didn't, um, you- usually that was our time as I got a little older. So for a few years around age 13 and 14 when I was, you know, starting, starting to grow physically and I was able to play with him. Uh, my mom would always ask after our nine holes, who won? I'd always say him. And for a good couple of summers, my dad beat me until he didn't. And I remember that he was, and I know now as a father, the you're proud, you're horrified, you're sad, you're excited, but it's a moment. And I remember the ride home and he shot like three or four over and I shot, you know, something close to par by that time, you know, age 14, 15. And I remember that conversation when my mom asked, and he didn't really want to talk about it. <laughs> he wasn't, uh, he was proud of me, but it wasn't as, uh, it was like it was like a baton had been passed. That's right, that's right. Well, it's just like I said you, uh, about my dad. I want my kids to drive it yeah. farther than me. And now that that day isn't here, you know, so it's like a double-edged sword. He, he likes the fact his kids, you know, you know, I became a pretty good golfer. I love the game. We had that in common. Mm-hmm. But it, I think it reminded of him of his own mortality. Absolutely. You know, I find that with my girls who aren't golfers, but they're really funny and they're fast. When I'm there are their wit and their the speed at which they process information, you know, in a way is a tribute to my ex-wife who's also very funny and you know, I guess being around me. But what I find now is when the two of them are together and they turn their roasting ability on me, Ooh. it's like I can barely keep up anymore, but I'm also proud about what they're saying to me because it's really funny, but the way they attack me, it's like I created you piranha. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I'm really sorry about your dad, and uh, I mean, we could do the whole show about 
you know, things we learned from our parents. Uh, my mom played golf, too. Nice. Yeah, my uh, mom... Uh, I'm not sure if my mom would be able to play this year. My mom's 85. She's got a shoulder issue, so she's going to have to do some therapy, but she's still... Um, got My mom's 85, one medication. She is just a strong lady, and she's just doing so well, so that's great. How's she doing with the passing of her husband? <laughs> my mom is my mom. Yeah. She's doing... Really well, but they all you know, he was also in long term care for five months, so they had in fact been separated because he was living in long term care. So I think that helped to some in, in some regard. And, and I think that she's like the rest of us, she saw that my dad was uh, really suffering and his quality of life was, was going down. So, um, and I think she's okay, she's doing you know, it's it's like me, it's like it's kind of a fog. Um, you know, I'm working away, and then I see a picture of him, and it's kind of like, oh my god, he's gone. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a weird place to be. You know, he's the most significant man in my life, and you know, that's a that's a hell of a milestone. You know, your 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 parent a parent dies. That's that's a big one. You know. Well, and you mentioned uh, before we started. I mean, you had him. You're almost 60 years old. A lot of people, and myself included, my dad died when I was 46. My mom died when I was 34. Wow. And I told you this. You know, somewhere in the last year, we were talking about your father, and I said I have a lot of friends like you whose parents are still with them, and I'm happy for you. But at the same time, I also know what's ahead of you, mm-hmm. and I don't wish that on anyone. In a way, I, I would love to be able to talk to my dad uh, now, but I, I, in a way. I've like okay, I've, I've kind of got that phase of my life done now. Mm-hmm. It's n- it never goes away. But ten years, this uh, twenty seventeen will be the eleventh year since my dad died. My youngest, or my sorry, sorry, my oldest daughter is twenty two. So my mother died the year she was born. It's coming up on twenty three years since yeah. I've had a mother. So I had a lot of time to process it. You, on the other hand, like a, a lot of people our age, it's either fresh or it's still in front of you. Yeah, yeah, it's um. It's a weird, it's a weird juggle uh, of of things going on, but um, you know, mostly I feel just so blessed. And I, if I go down this road <laughs> anymore, um, I may lose it. But um, I just feel super blessed to have had my father in my life for as long as I did, and we had a great relationship. He was a key part of my my son's lives. They're young men now, and um, that's fabulous. Mm-hmm. And um, so much of the um, of of the beauty of our family and the, and the lovingness that, that there is within this within uh, you know our five siblings and my mom, but also our extended family. I just feel so so lucky, and so much of that came from my dad, and uh, so I feel really blessed. Well, let me take you out of your uh, you know deserved funk. Uh, I'll tell you, did your father swear? Oh yeah. See, my dad didn't. My dad was a very formal guy, and it's funny because I'm so not like my father. You know, of the things I'm asked these days, like, you know, was he sick? <laughs> you know, yeah. That stuff that we talked about. But uh, you're the first one to ask me if he swore. Well, I'll tell you why. He would say, my, my, so my dad, good Roman Catholic, and I'll be quick. He would say, you know, shit, everyone's, but hell and damn, they were okay. Hmm. But F word, no. Yeah, only in a joke. Oh, he only well, did a joke. He would give him permission. So. The reason I'm telling you this is because my father was not one of those guys. Never said... Well, there's a couple stories, but I'll tell you the quick one is he, he wasn't a, a, a cursor, and he wasn't demonstrative. I mean, he was a, a lot of things, you know, angry. I think I got that from him. Uh <laughs> But he was very formal, my father. My father, my father spoke very formally. He was very, he loved words, and he was very, uh, I think my love of reading and my love of, of the way I speak is a lot. But I, I, the only time I ever heard him swear, and it was one time on one of those Wednesday afternoons, we were out late in the day, and I was uh, like fourth or fifth. Well, I still remember where it was. It's funny, I can see it. And I was waiting for him to line up a putt, a putt I should say. And I started, I got bored. I was like, I don't know, 12 or 13 years old. And I started doing this. I started um, pulling the, the flag back and forth inside the hole. Kind of, and it started going, waka, 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 waka. I just was like, got bored. I'm a kid. I was like going, just seeing what it sounded like and moving it back and forth. And my dad's got like a 40-footer. And he's over it because I'm, I'm holding it for him, right? And he looks at me and goes, what the fuck? are you doing? And it was like he caught himself saying it and he aborted in the middle. So it didn't come out F-U-C-K. It came out F-U-A-C-H-K. But I, we both were so shocked. The only time 
I ever heard him say it. And I never said it in front of him. Like, it was, a, it was a weird thing. He saw me do my act. He heard me on, you know, a bunch of things where he heard me swearing, but I never swore in front of him. Mm, it's interesting. Because I, I think my... I think that's mindful of your dad trying to maybe set a good example. That's just maybe partly who who he was. And maybe, yeah. maybe none of that is true. But my dad was similar in terms of uh, very cognizant of his grammar and yes. spelling and even his handwriting. Mine looks like I suffered an accident. Like a, like a, like <laughs> a, nun, right. like a nun broke my hand or something. Uh, my dad's writing was amazing. Same with my... Well, because those guys came from, you know, my, you know, your father was 85 when he passed away? Almost. Well, so, you're, you know, he's 10 years younger than my dad. My dad would have been 95 this year, but still an era when people spoke formally. There were not... they You weren't familiar with people you weren't familiar with. Um, my dad you was like... You never said you played good. <laughs> no, you, <laughs> you, played, that, you, always, you, you played, played well. well. Exactly. Uh, my dad was the uh, classic guy from, you know, born in the 1920s, you know, World War II, uh, you know, came home, populated the earth. <laughs> and uh, my dad was a classic. One of the things about him was he, he was never wanted me to do anything for him. Like, don't and The joke in the family was, don't worry about me. This was his phrase. Don't worry about me. He'd come to visit us. Hey, um, you know, Dad, this is where you sleep. Don't worry about me. I don't need a bedroom. I'll just sleep in the garage. You know, I kind of got, hey, Dad. Sleep on the floor. <laughs> hey, 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 Lou, we're going to have dinner. I don't need any food. Just put some water in a dish. <laughs> What you, it was always the don't do anything for don't don't go out of your way. Well, we're gonna have dinner, so, yeah, so if you, you can do you know you. you I don't want. need to sit with you. I'll sit over here. Just give me a box with some old Chinese food in it. My dad was hilarious. Don't worry about. Me. I used to you know when I started doing pretty well in my career, I used to devise ways each year to uh, fake or find a, a a story so that I could pay for his flight out here to visit me and my nice, kids. Nice, And one year it was, you know, it was a points, and the next year, I, I, I don't know, I, I got a thing at the radio station, but he wouldn't let me pay for him. Um, so it was aggravating. Yes. You know, it was like, please, just let me do this. Don't worry about me. I'll just, I'll just walk there. You know, give me a couple months. <laughs> Anyway, let's talk a little golf. Tim uh, O'Connor, it's uh, the off-season for a lot of Canadians, although a lot of Club Link members and I were lucky. You know, I'm talking about blessed to go to Palm Springs a couple weeks ago. Yeah, Before wow. I tell you a little bit about my... I had a couple angry moments, but but mostly I was good. <laughs> but I want to hear what's going on in the uh, off-season with you and your students. Are you working with guys still? Yep. Some of our uh, swing thoughters are still coming to see you. Yeah, um, so I'm working with um, with some clients. Some uh, it's kind of like life coaching stuff. I'm working with some of the clients, but uh, I got some clients who are in in Florida, um, who mm-hmm. are you know playing. Um, uh, I've got uh, a, a young man who's uh, who moved down there to work on his game. He's working towards uh, college scholarship and that kind of thing. And nice. Uh, and uh, another uh, one of our swing thoughters, um, you know, he's actively playing in club events and that type of thing and a professional. And so there's still lots going on that way. And, and, I, and now I'm starting to reengage with some of the, um, the clients who kind of dropped off, you know, November, December. And now they want to get going again. So, so there's uh, some, and, and a if whole lot of coaching going on. Well, and the thing is, it's February 11th while we record this. And I would say... You know, a couple months from now, it's April, and, and I've already put in, I, I've got tournaments on my schedule for September already, mm-hmm. and some of that stuff, the GAO stuff that I'm going to play in starts in May, and so it won't be long before people start to sort of transition from uh, whatever, you know, winter quietude. Is quietude even a word? It is. It is okay. A, it's a very fine word. I don't even know if I mean quietude. I just thought, I'm, I thought I'd say it. Was not much happening? Not much happening. Right. Um, but soon it's going to be happening. If you need to get a hold of Tim, as I mentioned, it's O'ConnorGolf.ca. And I'm not sure, Are you? do we give out your email on this program? I don't think we have, but sure, go ahead. Uh, I'll go ahead. It's uh, Tim at O'ConnorGolf.ca. So that's pretty easy to remember, given that my website's O'ConnorGolf.ca. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Didn't it I is amazing. As a business person, I thought of that. <laughs> Look at you. But one of the things you that, all grown up exactly. So one of the things that is um, interesting to me around a lot of people's approach to what they think is kind of like the mental game and all of that mm-hmm. is that 
you know, oh, yeah, we'll do some work when we get into the season. To me, that's too late. It's the same thing. It's too late to start working on your swing mechanics once you're on the green grass. I, it's like you just don't turn on a switch and make this stuff happen. And that's why I've been harping in my blogs and on this show and whatnot around. A lot of it is around just awareness. And uh, I'm still on a big meditation kick. Uh, oh, remind, I'm going to give you those uh, headphones. Remind me. Oh, yeah, cool. Thank the you. Muse yeah, the Muse headphones. Yeah, I want to try yeah. those out. Just to- did that, did, that was so funny. Tim's such a... I like I like Tim so much, but sometimes Tim will ask me a question. Like, we go back and forth. There's like seven or eight emails. Boom, 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 boom. And I was just kind of distracted. Tim, in about the fourth or fifth string on this Gmail uh, <laughs> ladder, Tim says, Hey, when I'm there on Saturday, can you can I borrow those Muse headphones you have? I write back, No. <laughs> Just, uh-huh. and, I, uh-huh. and then I write back really quickly, Tim, I'm just kidding. And I knew you were. Come on. I know. I just felt. But you know, why do I do that? Why? I don't know. I'm a, you know why? Because I'm a bad person. No, no, no. You're not. You, you, there's a big mistake. It's just like you have, have some guilt, but don't go to shame. And But that's a whole other show. So anyway, so a lot of things uh, that I'm um, working on with a lot of my students, even those who are playing in, in um, now in Florida, is around awareness and because if you're not aware of what's going on with you in your in your swing with your emotions with the different things that go on with us then we can't change and mm-hmm. most people want to change they feel like they're stuck they've got well you think by the time they get to you by the time they're picking up uh, a phone or sending you an email they're looking for a change oh yeah they're it's like yeah, yeah, they're 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 already started their journey, if you will. Once the call is made, once they've kind of got past their own inertia, past their own feeling that there must be something weird with me, or that I would want to talk to another man about this stuff that's going on, I must be weak. It's none of that. It's it, it's just to me, man. It, it, if you want to make change in your life, then you need to be aware and you need to work. This is this is work, man. And it's fun work, and that's why I love doing it. I'm right where I want to be in terms of um, my life and my work and how it lines up with my writing. So there you go. Congratulations. Um, and you're doing you're, – I love hearing about that you're, you're right back into your stand-up stuff, and that's so cool, man. It is cool, but it's not what I want to talk about. All um, right. I want to talk about golf. I mean, you can come see me do stand-up sometime. We I'm, talking, really, well, I'm really this funny. Is, this is all about golf. No, I know. But uh, I loved hearing what you just said. Um, how it relates to me is uh, is cool and all. But what I want to tell you is I'd never been to Palm Springs. Have you ever been, have you ever been to California to I've golf? See, I've never done that. A few times. I've been to San Diego. Mm-hmm. Played Torrey Pines. Amazing. Amazing. I, um, I was in Palm Springs, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. Never seen it myself. And it's a, it's a weird place. It is. It's uh, it's filled. I mean, let me just tell you, vis, uh, the visually, it's stunning. I I had no idea what to expect. I used to live in California, but I couldn't afford to go to Palm Springs. Trust me. Is there anyone there younger than fifty? That's the thing. It's the whole population of Palm Springs that I could see is soft, rich white people. And I'm going to tell you right now, when the zombie apocalypse comes, those people are done first. Okay? Exactly. I might go in around two or three. Same with you. You know, because we got a bit of grit. I mean, certainly with me, I could anger. I could certainly rage, uh, defend myself. <laughs> but these soft, rich white people in Palm Springs, they're getting eaten first. The first thing that happens is they go. I don't care if they live behind a gated community or not. They're all going. Because the whole population that I could I, I encountered were just soft, gooey, rich perfect, people. Perfect skin, but 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 soft, but still with the women. Taut, very, very well. Taut, the women, taut, Jesus, taut skin. Even, uh, if, even if they're seventy, well, you can't those, tell those cheekbones and everything. That like you could like pack that with a ping them. So we're I'm in a boom. fancy uh, place I used to love in uh, Los Angeles called Trader Joe's. It's kind of like a Whole Foods but not it's kind of a cheaper Whole Foods but you walk around Trader Joe's and it's those women. Is she 70? Is she 40? I don't, her, her face is only 10. I guarantee. But that's not what uh, I want to get to the fact that uh, it's magical. The, the looking around you, you know I've spent four years now between Paul Dooland, who's been a guest on our show and who is, I think I've mentioned, he's the guy that sort of the very first mental performance coach that I ever uh, met was Paul. I'd been reading about them for 20 years. I've been thinking about it and read everything you can read, but he was the first one I ever spoke to. Uh, You were the second. Although when I first met you, you weren't an official mental performance coach. Um, 
Did you were you just a, a guy. Spasm? Was that a spasm? Yeah, yeah I was a little like... homage to my friend Fred because that's a Fredism. You weren't a Mitchell. <laughs> um, but but I uh, but I've been working on this stuff for a while. Is my point, and I can't remember what the point of that was. Oh, I'm noticing. Yeah, so my you've you've golfed with me, and I'm a, I'm a visual person. I'm I'm also a very auditory person. Obviously, I, I speak for a living, but I have this habit. It's become unconscious in between golf shots. My head's always up. It's never on the ground. You see how I look around. If, you, if you're golfing with me and you're going about getting ready to hit a shot, if you looked over, chances are you'll see me scanning the horizon. It's a um, physical manifestation of a little trick I was taught by Paul. And I think you'll you agree that it, it brings you up and out of yourself. Absolutely. If you yeah. ever want to stop feeling sorry for yourself for even a moment, I call it golfing the world. Get your eyes up above the horizon. And it, it physically takes you out of looking inward, which we do by looking down and to the left. It's a little neuro-linguistic programming That's trick. NLP all the way. But, yeah. but when you see somebody look down and to the left, they're, they're looking. It's a feeling. It's a kinesthetic thing. But, but I was taught by Paul. and it, it's, At first, it was, on, it was conscious because I really had to force myself to do it. My point about all of that is this. I have never seen scenery like that. In fact, it was almost distracting. It was so beautiful and so new to me. And that was the thing I really wanted to drive home that I, I really appreciated having never seen that vista before. Just how remarkable it is. The, the first morning, uh, we were all the golfers from Club Link. It's a tournament. We're all warming up at uh, La Quinta. The, we played the dunes and the mountain course there. The back nine of the mountain course is amongst the most beautiful I've ever seen. Did they just play the Hope there? They they did the, no that that was PGA West the Nick I'll tell you about this we, I played okay. we played La Quinta I played the Stadium Course the week after they played the uh, tournament there the the sky boxes were still up there whatever that thing is the health uh, yeah yeah the health Humana or something yeah yeah, yeah that's it so we played the Stadium the Nicholas. La Quinta Mountain and Dune. So nice. the first morning, wow. I'm just up. on the range watching these guys warm up. And the reason it was fascinating is because when you see a ball hang up against the, the background of those mountains... It freezes. It's ridiculous. In fact, yeah. I want to... I put a bunch of... Um, oh, this is great for radio. Well, but it's good for you. <laughs> Believe me. If I, if I knew what was great for radio... Okay, folks. <laughs> I would, I would have been... His, radio, his phone is going to show me a nice picture... And I will try and describe it. You don't need to. You just no? need to look at that. That's from. Oh my God! I know. So, Mountains and but water that's in the that's the view. There's the range right there. Where's the range? Right there. So it's on the side. So you see these mountains. And again, being a kid from the prairies, there's a lot of things that I, I often I, I'm I, I get sort of uh, mesmerized by. And it was that. It was watching the ball hang against the sky. That's so cool. It was ridiculous. Um. So visually, these golf courses are amazing. Plus, they were, the greens were a lot faster than, you know, the Florida type of grass. And I played those two of those turn, uh, tournament courses right after they'd been in PGA Tour um, shape. And so they were really fast. The fairways, the greens. And it, it was pretty cool. Um, and to be honest with you, I played like seven and a half rounds of golf. And other than one round where I think I shot 81. Everything else was around the mid-70s. Nice. And it's weird because I hadn't touched a golf club in a couple months. And after the first day, we played nine holes right off the plane. And I was kind of not warmed up, but I was hitting it okay. But I just kind of managed myself around the golf course. And I shot 76 a bunch of times. I shot 75 one day with like a couple three putts. Like it was the kind of ball striking around. I hit 13 greens and, and it was great. But here's the, the part I wanted to run by mental performance coach Tim. And here's a big shift in my learning as a, as a rageaholic, you know, ex-rageaholic golfer. So in the middle of the round, I shot 75. I've got 222 to a par five, hit a decent drive. And I've got my hybrid. And I think I can hit the green in two. And uh, I'm playing pretty well. I've hit, at that point, I've probably hit 10 or 11 greens. I've only got a couple holes to go, and I'm thinking, great. You know, I don't, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a few over par, but I think this is a great birdie chance. And I, I go back and forth between hitting a three iron at the front of the green because I've learned pretty quickly that you're, you're actually even better off if you miss short because missing long on these courses is death, especially that was the, uh, 
the stadium course, and they have these areas over the greens. You oh, saw it yeah, on TV. Yeah, They're yeah. like, some are 20 feet down. So I thought, oh, cool, I could lay up to the 200-yard and just be chipping up or see if I could get it on the green. The problem is I went back and forth a bunch of times. And when I finally decided to go for the green with the, with the hybrid, going back to what Dr. Joe said, I hadn't given myself time to readjust to the new club again and make the decision. And I got over the ball. I backed off it once. So good for me. And then I got over it again, and I was now a little self-conscious that I had, A, taken some time. Yep. B, now I've changed clubs a couple times. C, I'm backing off this shot. And so I went ahead and hit it anyway, mm-hmm. and I hit it about 130 yards because I hit it so fat. And I, and I tell you what, here's the difference. I got so fucking mad at myself. I get it. Not because of the shot, because of the process. Right, exactly. And that is a huge thing for me. No part of that shot. And I got angry. Like, I, I literally flipped the club, flipped the club, the club into the ground. And anyone looking would have thought I was pissed off at the shot. But I'm telling you, Swing Thought Kids, it, the only thing that pissed me off was I thought, you know what? You, could, you should have just backed away again. The whole thing I just described, I know it took, it took five times longer to describe it than it actually happened. And all I needed to do was stop again and, and just reassess my options. But I didn't. Mm-hmm. And that's what pissed me off. Yeah. Crazy, eh? I get it. I get it absolutely. So that's like uh, airport security. You know, guy goes through and get, uh, his, you know, he's got his phone in his pocket. He's been through security a million times as a business person. He goes like, "How did that happen?" Mm-hmm. It does happen. It's just part, but, of, but I, part I, of part of life. I liked it because I wasn't mad at the result of the shot. I was only mad at myself. I was like, "Really, dude." Like, suck it up, because I would have backed off again and probably changed clubs. Because what it was was I got over it this, the last time before I pulled the trigger. It just didn't feel comfortable. It really wasn't the shot. Mm-hmm. So you didn't listen to your body then? I didn't listen to got, that voice that said, i just give it another second. And you got hijacked, <clears throat> perhaps by your fear of being judged. Absolutely. Yeah. And the thing is, I'm comfortable, and it, it, show, it showed me where my, where my line is, though. Because I was comfortable going. I had two clubs in my hand. I was comfortable doing all that. I took a couple of swings with the three iron. I got over it with my hybrid. And then I got over it and backed off once. So that's my comfort zone. Yeah. The one, and then, ba- the one back off. The one back off. <laughs> but the two couldn't do it. And yeah. I, God, I was so pissed that I just didn't back off again. I think the, that, I, you know, and that's a great piece because... Every golfer has gone through that. Absolutely. Every golfer who's like, who's, who's a, plays at a certain level, who knows that, who knows, okay, just as you described, there's two options here, but they're, you're caught between one of them. And so often what happens, I know what's happened to me, is that I stand there, maybe I'm hold, literally holding the two clubs. And it's like, it's going it goes from okay do i go with the five do i go with the seven (laughs) then it becomes what are the guys who are watching me gonna think you know about you know is this guy on the pga tour does it really matter that much what the, the the skill is is being able to say Oh, I see. I'm getting hijacked by mm-hmm. by my fear, by my my awareness about that I may be judged. As if that matters at all. If it matters, one iota. It, exactly, and it, and it does not. And so, and and you know what? If someone else wants to make a judgment, that's their stuff, man. They they could make judgments. It's not about you. Want. It's about them. It's about them looking at you, going, "Well, I wouldn't have done that." Oh, I could. I couldn't have backed off another time. Who does this guy? All that stuff, that as you said, has nothing to do with you and or you have, me. And you have no control over. No it. control of it. And and again, I I did get. I told you on the phone. I think I was when we were talking about this show. I said, "Oh, I got to tell you about another." Like I got I got mid season mad, whatever that is, because but I didn't. It was funny, and I and I and I, I caught myself. Because there I was in this beautiful area and playing a beautiful round of golf, and I was playing very well. <clears throat> it wasn't just because I was playing well that I got mad. I got mad because it was an example of me not, not finishing my, my, my teacher, Paul Henrik, has a great phrase. He says, when it's your turn, take your turn. Take your full turn. And I'm not a slow player. I don't lose a lot of golf balls. So if I wanted to take another 15 seconds, believe me, we were, I played with two other guys, the same two guys for seven and a half days. 
or seven and a half rounds, I should say. We were looking for everyone's ball but mine. So why didn't why didn't I just stop and go, boys? I have no idea what to do here. I'm going to need another second. Let me Google this or some joke <laughs> to you know yeah, yeah, deflate yeah. whatever self consciousness because all it was all me. No one was saying hurry up, but I got to whatever I guess my perceived you know amount of time a, a guy like me should take, and I didn't. And that's why I said Dr. Joe, because I went and hit it anyway and cost myself, I made par, but I didn't get it near the green, which would have been a pretty easy birdie for me, generally. So I thought that was an interesting piece, as we say here on the show, because it had nothing to do with my golf swing. It had nothing, it had everything to do with my process and my self-consciousness around it. Yeah, and that's that's one of the, it's interesting. We, so we've been doing the show for just about a year, just over a year now. And one of our key themes is that one of the greatest determin- determinants, if you will, of how you're going to play is not nece- is not your golf swing. Mm-hmm. Usually, it's your, your it's your mental approach. It's how you respond emotionally, um, physically, spiritually, even. And so that's why that's it's really interesting that uh, I'll connect back to what I was talking about in terms of awareness. So Dr. Joe Parent, who's, he wrote that book, Zen Golf, uh, so he's very big on, uh, on awareness. So I think what's interesting here is that as you go through more experiences like that, you'll be aware when that's starting to come up, when you get that feeling, kind of like a, a clench of some kind that, oh, I'm, I'm going to that place where I'm worried about being judged. So there it is. I'm okay with it let it go because that's not me that's not who i am and and as you as you said you don't have control of it and that's what people that's what i'm talking about when we get around awareness is is that oh i see i'm caught i'm caught in the clinch of some kind of a, of an emotional response some kind of story which is usually linked to fear sometimes shame but unless we're aware of it we can't change it so that's what I love. You were talking about. Well, that, I'm, gl- I'm glad you learning. I'm glad you said that because that's a very specific, and I think a great example of of what you do with golfers is that's the awareness. Because sometimes people hear us talk about that, and they're not really a hundred percent sure. You mean awareness of my surroundings, or aware? And it's awareness of what comes up for us as men and women that play the game. But as golfers, what often comes up is feelings of massive self-consciousness absolutely it's if i take another look at this putt if i go back to my cart and get a different club if i hesitate for a second what will the everything in golf is really what will the other guys i'm playing with think i was getting an example of a the, the, one of the guys i played with a really good guy jeff merritt um Jeff Merritt, Jeff Knuth from Merritt Travel. Really strong, uh, 40-year-old kid. Kid, you know, hits it good. <laughs> to us. <laughs> to, you know, has a little trouble with the short game. I helped him out a little bit. But in, but I'm, I'm talking about water. Because so, for some reason, whenever there's water with higher handicap golfers, they can't get past the self-consciousness of what will happen if I hit it in the water. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, I play golf a lot. I think I'm, you know... Yeah, I don't want to go in the water, but there's a there's an island style green at uh, at PGA West, the the Nicholas course. I actually saw it, the stadium course. You saw it on TV. It's 16. And one day I hit it in the water. You know, next time I came to water, I just oh, you know, I just hit the wrong club. Hit a nice shot. Just you know, could have used one more club or maybe a different. But I hit a good swing and it went in the water. I don't even I don't even register it. Mm-hmm. But my buddy Jeff, every time we'd come to water, it was all he'd register. And it's funny, again, it's all mental. It's not real. Absolutely. I mean, a guy like you or I are, you know, a better player, maybe, or a more aware person. I just go, well, that happened. Yep. It happened. It didn't. I didn't you know, I, I can immediately assess that, yeah, I was, you know, I did a good, I made a good swing and did the shot I wanted. Just could have used more club. I've never played here before. I don't know how the wind works. And, you know, I, I played the one course twice and I thought, oh, the next time I play this, I know what I'll do. I'll just take a little extra and make my mistake long. Mm-hmm. But I didn't. I didn't, so I didn't care. Yeah, because so so you're at a place now where a lot of, and the reason you are a scratch golfer is that you've moved from a place of often making a lot of judgment about yourself, but you're still working on it, so that's the way it goes. But you've moved to a place where it's about the learning. Mm-hmm. So 
You played a, a hole before. Ah, I put one in the water. Well, you know what? I learned from that. So next time, I'll be more aware and make a better sh- and make a better shot because I, I learned from that. And I'm going to connect to um, uh, Fred Shoemaker, who we had on the show. Uh, I'm a big disciple, and he, he's almost like a mentor to me. And I'm rereading every year. I reread Extraordinary Golf. It's, Incredible book, and folks, if uh, there's one book I can advise you to read, it would be that one. I concur. And I don't read it every year because I'm not as dedicated as you are. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I'm writing down Muse on my hand so I don't forget to give it to you. Yeah, I love that. That, that the only guy I know post. Seven? Post seven, exactly. <laughs> Who writes on his hand. I used to write CV, cootie vaccination. That was it. But anyways, so Fred Shoemaker, um, you talked about being self-conscious. And the way Fred puts it is that the great – if you ask most people why they play golf, uh, I'd enjoy being with friends, hitting the ball, being outside. No, no, no. It's really to look good and not be embarrassed. You know, really, folks, if you want to be really honest with yourself, if you kind of here we are, I don't know where you are, but whether you're in Florida now or uh, in the depths of winter, if you really connect to when you're on the tee and that nervous energy you have, a lot of times, uh, if you're honest with yourself, it's going to be like, how am I going to look? What are they going to think of me? And, and that's why we're on the tee off and going, you know, how's it go? You listen to the conversations. How's it going? Uh, not bad. Been a little rusty. I haven't played for a couple of weeks. Oh, you know, or I got oh the back. You know, I got a tweak in my back. So what we're doing there is adjusting the expectations of the people we're with, as if we need to do that. It's it's like we're protecting ourselves from not that we're not going to look so good, mm-hmm. and perhaps we will embarrass ourselves. And when we can start to let go of that stuff, and just play, and just and just enjoy the game, and and in many ways just express who we are. If we can get rid of that baggage, man, there's freedom in that. But that goes back to when you mentioned awareness 20 minutes ago, it was more of a a statement and, and and not that it was vague but it's vague in that it could mean a lot of things yep. then we take you you connect it to what i went through there's some more awareness awareness of my state awareness of how i showed up in that moment and now even more specific that's the awareness you're talking about you know and and, and it's i buy into it completely why is it that some of us and i don't think it's just better players because I, I play with a lot of guys that are 15 and 18 handicaps that hit you know, shots and then move on with it, mm-hmm. move on with their lives. And, and, and they're not affected by it. I play with a lot of scratch golfers that are super hyper aware and very concerned with what other people think of them, but they have the skill set to kind of golf through it. You know, it's funny. I've gone away in other years where I might go. I, I, I did this last year. I went to Greensboro with my friend, Tim Southcott, who's a, a fine player, scratch golfer, one handicap. And, we played seven rounds of golf. And I think I broke 80 once. Mm-hmm. I just because I was a, still in mode of golf swing where I went to Palm Springs after one. We played 12 holes with the day we got off the air. We literally went from the only golfers airport yeah. golf course. Then we checked in. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't have my best ball striking, but I immediately had my sort of good player approach to it. I didn't try anything too, you know, I wasn't trying to do too much. I didn't, I didn't, you know, try anything that I didn't think I could pull off. I up-clubbed whatever, you know, I, I was hitting six irons where I normally hit seven irons because I just wanted to build in the fact that I hadn't touched a club in two months. Yeah. And that's why I was always, now I didn't shoot my handicap once, but I didn't have a lot of high scores. I guess I had a one score out of eight rounds or seven rounds over 80. You know, a little bit of that is the greens were way faster than I was prepared for. It took me a few days to gear oh, yeah, down. Yeah. Like, and they, I loved them. They were tour speed-ish. Um, so my scores didn't reflect maybe how well I thought I played, but they, I played nicely. You know, I was enjoying myself, and I was in play a lot, and I wasn't freaking out other than the one time. But just goes to show you that it's not really about how good you're hitting it. Because, you know, other than one round where I was really flushing it, and I could tell as soon as I warmed up, the rest of them were just a series of, you know, unfortunate events that were my golf swing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I hit a lot of, I hit a lot of six irons. My six iron is 170 yards, 168 in the air, if you want to get technical, to roll out to 175. I was hitting my six iron 
in the 160 range a lot, 165, because I was like, I'm missing everything. Right. So I might as well miss this. It at least gets there. Yeah. You know, anytime someone would ask me when I'm hitting, I said, don't. It's it's not the club. I'll tell you when I'm hitting, but it's not going to make any sense to you. Because I have no ego anymore, at least I didn't on uh, the middle of winter, around how far these clubs go. I don't care. I was hitting my driver horribly, but I was keeping it in play. Mm-hmm. And that's all I care about. You know, I could have, in other years, I would have been like, frantically trying to figure out why I didn't have a golf swing. Right. Well, where's it gone? I don't know. It's, it's sleeping. <laughs> well, it's a little bit... It's it's still a bit rusty. It's still... It's still like... The flakes of rust are still falling mm-hmm. off. And, and, and that makes sense. And so you need to give yourself, you know, some space for that. And, and like acclimatizing. And that's, you know... That's one of the harder parts of the game to get is that feel part back. And that's why you struggled on the greens. It, mm-hmm. It's just... It's one thing to be able to get your swing going, but it's that it's the feel that's the hardest part to get back. The point of it all is that I didn't give my I didn't get angry about my where's my where how come I'm not swinging very well? Because after a few days, I started to hit it pretty decently, but not not once, other than the one you know round where I was seventy five. That not once it was I at sort of my best ball striking, not even close. Mm-hmm. But I was okay with it because my expectations were pretty low. If at all. I just basically wanted to experience golf where I'd never played before. Right. And so I, that, I mission accomplished. But I'm also going to go to a, 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 maybe a slightly different place with that. And that I think that a lot of it has to do with that you are more okay with yourself in, in all parts of your life. You're you're just good with it. You don't have to. You're, you're at a stage where you don't have to uh, explain yourself. You don't have to justify what you do. You don't have to meet anyone's else's expectations. So that's going to bleed off into your into your golf as well. And so if we can just be a little bit more secure, more aware of when our fears are coming up, and just you know, just go, okay, I'm going to let that go. Man, that helps in all parts of life. You know, whether you got someone who's driving behind you on the 401. And you think, oh, am I a slow driver or um, a judgment about yourself at work or on the golf course? Is that is that being in a place where you can just I'm okay with me. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with me as I am. If we can move to that place, boy, that's that's a sweet little place to be. And I'm gonna also make it. We've been make, making some really interesting connections here, going deeper and deeper with awareness. And so, one piece was I remember. Um, I was very fortunate. I, I got to do a lot of work with Ben Kern. So Ben Kern played on the PGA Tour in the 70s. Uh, he was then the uh, director of golf at the, at the National where you played, Devil's Pulpit. And uh, I wrote the Future Links guides with him. And those, those were the guides for how to teach juniors to, for, for anybody. And I remember one time we were sitting around and uh, he said to me, never explain a shot. And particularly what he meant was that it say you flub one around the green. He says, don't go like, oh, you know, the grass was growing against me and my, fly, my right foot was dope. He says, never explain that stuff. And I didn't really get what he meant. But then eventually it dawned on me that there's kind of two things. One is to explain it, you're basically saying, you know, I'm really a better golfer than this. Mm-hmm. That was a tough shot, and and it didn't come off well. So, so you know, <laughs> I love that. I'm a better golfer than what you just saw. Yeah, what you saw was an anomaly. Exactly, it wasn't that good. But and if golf- it wasn't for the fact that I, I had, the grass was growing against, and I was literally almost upside down, and yeah, yeah standing on my head. There's that part of it, but also, you feed. Don't feed oxygen to a fire. So when you hit. Uh, you know, a shot that didn't go so well or you're in the state just let it go don't feed any oxygen to it let it go and so that's a you know that's a, a nice piece I learned from Ben Kern um, that I think also we could file under the big folder of awareness you know who else was like that was Nicholas there's a great story about you know some golf writer asking him about you know missing three foot putts and he's like oh I never did <laughs> He, he just didn't acknowledge oh, that yeah, yeah. that ever happened. Yeah, no, that there's. A, I think Bob Rotella tells the story about being in some kind of conference situation, and Jack's up there on the stage going, "I never missed a short putt in a major competition." This guy gets up and goes, uh, "Excuse me, Mister Nicholas, um, I got it on video. Uh, I could show it to you. I never missed a short putt in a That's major right. competition." Oh, but Mister Nicholas. It doesn't matter what Jack believes Just about himself. Yep. That's the whole thing right there. He, he, 
he was thoroughly convinced that he never missed when it mattered. Because he didn't want to give oxygen to it. You know, and we play with a lot of guys. You do, I do. You know, I think I'm sort of, you know, I'm guilty of it sometimes. If not out loud, I'll say to myself, well, that was an unusual shot or I was on an uphill line. I kind of, I mean, I'll do that. We all do. We all assess it. But uh, both of us, and I'm sure everyone listening, plays with some guys that do that with every shot. It's annoying. It's annoying, and it shows up as annoying, and it's fine. We'll all, we're, you know, we all will allow. If I'm looking at you across the fairway, and you've got an extreme lie, and I, or I've helped you find your ball, and I, and I see it, it's way down in a nest, and I walk over, and you, and you don't hit a good shot. Well, I, will, I don't need to be told. I'll go. Wow, man, that was tough. I, I'm, you know, you'll hear guys say, you know, that was pretty good. You just good to get it out of there, right? And that's so that's fine. And you might have a comment. Yeah, dude, that was like so far down. My club just flipped or whatever. Right. But the guys that will tell you sort of telestrate every shot they hit and around. It's like, ah, oh, dude, like, oh, uh, no. first of all, no one cares. Secondly, we know I, we st- I used to play with the guy at the National. His name was Claudio. Yes, go ahead. Put in your jokes here. Every one of the National was named Claudio, Tony or Vinny. <laughs> Anyway, Claudio was a very fine player, three or four handicap. But we used to always joke with him that the middle, that the uh, the sweet spot in his club was was pristine because every drive he goes on the heel, on the toe, on the head, hide it high, hit it low. Dude, let me see the center of your club. Yep, never been touched because he, he just he would kill it. He'd hit a two hundred eighty yard drive and go oh, a little bit on the bottom. Oh, did you? Did you really? But that's also not only is it annoying, but it's it's. Pointing out to your subconscious that oh, there's another failure. Oh, there's another 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 miss. Another whereas you, and you know seeking approval, seeking approval. I'm a, I'm better than than what you might think, as if that mattered. And really. and and the fact is, the the truth of it all is. No one's thinking anything other than themselves. To be honest with you, yeah, we've been through that a number of times. When you're in, and when you're in your golf hell period, of you had a tough tournament and you didn't feel like walking into the into the restaurant afterwards, and we were we were texting. It was a very delicate moment. <laughs> yeah, you were you were very sensitive, and I was just saying. Basically, dude, no one cares that you shot a million. Get in there, have some fun. Mm-hmm. They just want to sit with you because whatever bad stuff happened to you, they don't care because they have it. They think it's all way worse than what happened to them. You know, I, I have this uh, thing I tell people that haven't played in a lot of golf tournaments, and I was talking about it with some guys in Palm Springs, and I, you know, I know this lesson, and it's true. I have to remind myself, but whenever you're struggling, whether it's a club championship or some other thing. Just remind yourself that everybody you're playing, everybody in the field that day, at some point, is struggling too. There's no, I don't care if somebody in that f- in the field is p- having their best round. Believe me, they're struggling. I played. I'll tell you one quick last story from Palm Springs. I played with a kid, kid, thirty nine year old. <laughs> Isn't it funny? <laughs> there's yeah, yeah, no, we're just. Oh, we're getting ancient folks. There's a uh, there's an old story. We from are. The, for, there's a, a very famous Jewish comedian. Uh, who was a member of the Friars Club. What's uh, his name? Come on. Uh, so I'm not, I'm just, I want to say San, he, he was on Sullivan. doesn't matter. But he was uh, in his 80s or 90s, and he brought his, his son, who was in his 50s or 60s, to the Friars Club in New York with all these comics uh, hung out. <laughs> when he was introducing to somebody, he goes, hey, you know my kid? And the, the guy's like 60 years old. Anyway, my, my, I'm playing with this guy. He's 39. And he's a pro at Canada. His name is Scott Johnson. Fine player. Now, Scott and I were sort of comparing notes throughout the week. You know, how'd you play today? And one day he shot 79. And I was like, dude, you know, it happens. Like, he was all, you know, uh-huh. I played like shit. I shot 79. I go, and you know, I said, you know, whatever. And then he and I played together at uh, Indian Wells. Never seen the golf course. I shot uh, 76, and he beat me by 10. Oh, wow. Good golf. It was great to watch because it goes back to the Ken Tarling thing about not knowing how. When you see somebody going that deep, it was good for me to watch. He and I were in the same cart. It was good for me for a lot of reasons because... You know, I was sort of comparing his shot quality to mine, you know, where he's a scratch. He's not a plus five. He's a scratch or a plus one. And so I was kind of seeing, like, was he hitting any shots? And I don't think I could have. And I wasn't playing well at all. I was three over after the first three holes, and I was one over for the rest of the round. So I kind of nice. – it was nice. I, I, but I wasn't playing 
you know, like him. But here's what happened in his round of golf. He shoots one under on the front. I think he birdied 10. 11 is a short par four. We both hit the green. I think it's like 265. Oh, yeah. I hit the green. He hits the green. He's got a 40-footer. I have a 30-footer. He sinks his, makes a two. Now he's uh, one, two, four under. Wow. And I two putt for my birdie. Next hole, he snap hooks it out of bounds. Just got all excited because he got yeah. to four under. Oh, yeah. Snaps it out of bounds. Uh, you know, I, so we're in the card. I hit a decent drive. So I got over. He's got a, like a, he hits his third shot off the, off the tee. And, uh, you know, he's going to make bogey, maybe double bogey, likely. And uh, whatever his second shot was a short par four. So I think he had like a 90 yards to the green. And he sinks it. A 90 footer? A 90. 90 yard. Wow. After he just made eagle on a drivable par four. The wow. point is... That's a hell of a par. <laughs> it was a great par. It's funny. I hadn't seen one of those in a long time. Yeah. My point is, he he just took it in stride. You, you, you can't imagine. Most of us listening, you got to four under par, and you've got six holes to play. And he did what a lot of us would do. He kind of just overdid something, you know, bottom of the, of the swing. He just turned it over, yeah. and he had to re-tee. But he re-teed nicely, and he had a shot at the green. You know, likely would have been a bogey or a double, so nice par or birdie, and he jars it. Because his attitude on that third, fourth shot was just so, like, matter-of-fact. You know, as soon as he hit it, you know, I'm in the car. I go, hey, great swing, you know, whatever you say. And it's going for the green. I go, you know, and he's going, like, be the right club. And then it goes in the hole. I'm going, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> like, he just said. Beautiful. It, it was. It was great. And the last thing about Scott's round was on the last hole. And we, you know, we were all playing. And we know that we're playing a little team game. And they're killing us. And uh, we get to the last hole. And he's got about a 25-footer for birdie. Misses it. We all congratulate, high-five, hug him. And then he says to me as we're driving to drop our clubs off, he goes, that putt was from my lowest round of my life. I'm like, what? Wow. He goes, yeah, I've never shot lower than 66. I said, well, you handled it well. I said, because, first of all, he didn't say it. You know, he didn't say it out loud, but you know he was thinking it. Oh, yeah. And I said, you made a good stroke. You, gave it, you, you did everything you could do to give yourself a chance to sink it. And uh, it was just, uh, it was great watching it. Yeah, and the I, next time he's in that spot, he'll be that much more, he'll, he'll be that much more gritty. He'll be that much more uh, able maybe to step back a little bit. Maybe. Whatever he, whatever he needs. But it, really, to miss a 25-footer, I mean, how many you're, of those you're, do you make, right? Though I will say this, though. Playing fast greens for a week, that's why those guys on tour sink a lot more 20-footers than we do. Because when you've got a 12-foot putt that you only have to take the putter back a few inches, yeah. it's a lot more likely to hit it in the center and to keep it online longer. I never thought of that. That's, that's interesting I'm, insight. I'm that's telling cool. you, if you play fast greens for a living, you're going to sink a lot more. Because I used to wonder, why do those guys, their stats on 8- to 15-footers are so much better than ours? Yeah. Well, because on our average speed greens, or green speeds, 9 and 10, whatever on the stint meter, you got to hit it a little bit harder, yeah, I get and that more part. chance to for the putter to go offline. But their greens are also a lot truer, for sure, for sure, and less spike marks and all that stuff. And so he had a reasonable chance of sinking it, you know. But I wanted to point out the fact that in the middle of his best tied for his best round of his life, still had struggles, still had, yeah. you know, uh, snap hooked it off a tee, made a good. You know, made an, a, a, a once. You know, an, an, a, you know that doesn't happen very often, but it still happened because he made a good swing. Is my point? Mm, yeah. You know, a lot of us go. Well, I was four under. Oh, here it comes, here we go. Right? Because yeah. he he should have gone back to two under. It should have been a double, mm -hmm. but it wasn't, and it was great. You know, I mean, the fact that they went up, I think at that point six up on us. In my team wow. game. Oh, no. It was it was a bloodbath. We even pressed him on 17 and got beat 2-0. and oh. Like, it just was. We just kept getting wrong. Then we played an extra nine, got beat again. Nice. Well, there's some days. No, I know. So, so a lot of, obviously, what a lot of things you could take away from what happened with him there was, like, resilience. Yeah. And I, I would say one of the key pieces there is just when he snapped, when he made the eagle, maybe he didn't go super crazy, and he... Probably, and he didn't go super crazy when he hit it out of bounds. Stuff happens. I mean, just like it's our attachment to it that drives us crazy. You know, as we used to say, two swings from being nuts. Um, but I just I want to quickly say that um, our good friend Ken Tarling, yes, was just uh, named to the Ontario Golf Hall of Fame. So uh, yeah, very nice. Hang on, Ken. Hang on, I don't have any applause. I can give him uh, this. Hang on. That's right. 
Um, also, uh, before we wrap up today, we're going to be the dates of the 24th and 25th. Yes, at the Toronto Golf Show, we are going to be doing uh, what I've billed as Swing Thoughts Live. I guess whether we record it or not. We'll matter. still be Swing Thoughts Live. Yeah, so Howard and I are going to be there. Uh, invite all our Swing Thought friends. And if you haven't, um, I don't know where I'm going with that, but just come out. It's going to be fun. We're going to do our Swing Thoughts thing, but we're going to uh, also, uh, I've been saying our guest is going to be the audience. Mm-hmm. And we're going to interview them. We've got some of our Swing Thought friends. How long are we like, supposed to do? Like an hour, 45 minutes or something? However we... Yeah, until they give us the get the hell off the stage sign but we're, it's at uh, 5.30 on Friday and at 2.30 Friday the 24th of February right. so a couple weeks yeah, and uh, 2.30 in the afternoon on the Saturday and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun I think there's a we've got a lot of stuff that we can uh, draw on mm-hmm. and uh, I, th- I think it'll be um, it'll be like one of our shows a lot of good give and take with Howard and I but also uh, a great opportunity for people to uh, ask questions, tell some stories, and, and you know, just have a lot of fun. Uh, so, and tickets are available online, I think, at torontogolfshow.ca or something like that. Also, check out uh, Timmy's blog on Ken Tarling. Uh, very interesting. I had a couple other things I wanted to talk about, but we, we're running out of time. I've been... Uh, <laughs> I've been Tiger retired? Tiger. I'm, no, I'm, I'm just going to say, you know, like, Freddie and I on the Humble and Fred Show had this discussion after the Super Bowl... That wouldn't it be great if Tom Brady just did the mic drop and pieced out five Super Bowls? Um, I just want to tell you, I watched uh, the Super Bowl till the fourth. Uh, oh no, you you gave up on it? Wait, oh, my God. <laughs> wait, until the yes. Oh. So Atlanta scores the fourth touchdown. It's twenty-eight oh. three. When I say I've had enough of Where's this, where's your fan resilience? I got none. <laughs> Obviously. Dude, I did. Uh, check this out. I watched the first half. Ouch, ouch, then I get ouch. in my car. I drive downtown to a set at Yuck Yucks. Uh, I live like 10 minutes from there. Was so there anybody I, there? Yeah. Like 22, 25 people. It was horrible. I did. I bombed like crazy. Um, no one wants to hear my no one wants to hear my Trump, my Trump rant right now. Um, anyway, I, I did. I did horribly. Uh, Talk about resilience. I drive home here, and I'm all excited because I miss Lady Gaga, but no big deal. You know, I'm watching the next day. And then the third quarter starts, and then uh, Ryan, whatever, they score that fourth touchdown. I'm like, this is... I rushed home just to see this. 28-3. 28-3. I turn it off. I watched... uh, I can't remember. I think Sherlock Holmes on... Sherlock Holmes on... um, Netflix. On Netflix. And then I wake up the next morning because what I usually do is... uh, I First thing I do is I go to Facebook. Like, before I get out of bed, because I got to do it. Like, I wake up, and I'm on the air around North America. In the, I think I wake up at quarter to six. I'm on in an hour and 15 minutes. So my prep starts immediately. Yeah. So I start seeing all these things on Facebook about the greatest comeback ever. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> Literally said to myself and the dog, you've got to be kidding me. It's like my, but there's, there's a phenomenon the, the kids are talking about right now. It's called FOMA. You know what it stands for? Fear of missing out. FOMO. Oh, yeah. FOMO. Yeah, I got it. Fear of missing out. And I had this huge FOMO, FOMO moment. <laughs> and I was like, what? I actually made this noise. I went, ah! And I uh, went to my computer, and I, I just put in uh, Super Bowl 2017 second half highlights. <laughs> and I watched it. Like you, because and it's not the same. No, no it's not the same as when it's happening in real time. And that's why I talked about it when you and I, um, we were talking earlier about PVR live sports events. Yes. You know, like, and how you sequester yourself. You don't answer the phone. Don't listen to the radio. And we're talking about this before we started. Yeah, exactly. Or, or we we're, just, yeah. So we can experience that event in real time. But if you know, and, and that's why you don't want to know. Mm-hmm. Because if uh, you have a clue, you lose the experience of, of, of just experiencing it. And that was amazing. And so that happened to me for the Toronto Blue Jays in the 1990s. If you recall, th- those of you old enough, including you, what sir, the first uh, World Series or the second one, 92 or 93? It was against the Phillies. I forget what. I think it was, that was the first one. Yeah, they were down something like 11-2 or something in the fifth inning. Or six, and I went. Oh, I've invested enough time. And, and <laughs> That's then, right. And then, and, I've and, given this enough time. Exactly. So the next morning, I wake up and they had this amazing comeback. You know, they chipped away, chipped away, and finally, in the bottom of the night, they win it. Like you know, fourteen, thirteen, or something. One of the one for the greatest ages. of all time. And, I know. And I missed it. 
So, and all I'm seeing online is one of the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, come on. Because I know this. If I'd kept on watching, it wouldn't have happened. Oh, come on. No, it wouldn't have happened. Because when you're watching something, that's when it doesn't happen. Oh. All right. And uh, we'll talk about... uh, Well, I'd only written down an idea that... uh, And the whole point was Brady, wouldn't it be cool if he retired? He won't because he's an athlete. And um, we had this discussion on the Humble and Fred show about maybe should, should Tiger start thinking about, you know... The, it was looking so good, and now it yeah. just kind of went sideways. Was it, was no, that, I know. 18 uh, months, he's back for a month. Back spasms, he's done. Was that a bad plane trip to Dubai or something? Who knows? The problem with the back oh. is it's such a sensitive thing. Who knows it's if like he's ever going to be. 401. It's a no, fragile no. flower. Listen, everybody. Uh, TaylorMade, uh, just speaking of Tiger, now you you hitting TaylorMade clubs. That looks cool. Uh, the uh, number one, out so great just now. Doesn't but. matter. He can hit him. So can you, the number one driver in golf. And, of course, Clublink. There's never been a better time to join Clublink. Uh, we will do something on um, at the golf show. I'm not sure 100% what we can do in terms yeah. of recording, only because of the acoustics of that area. It might just sound terrible. Uh, Tim O'Connor, timoconnorgolf.ca, or uh, what's your email again? Tim at O'ConnorGolf.ca, and make sure you listen uh, without your children around to HumbleAndFredRadio.com. Yeah, well, or have your children with you if you want to have to explain a lot of stuff. It could be the time to have. It could be the <laughs> time right. to have the discussion. If you've always, well, son, do you ever wonder how what, kids are born? What those two men were talking about <laughs> is an area of the woman's anatomy. <laughs> uh, anyway, listen, friends, uh, all the best to you, Timmy, and uh, we'll see you soon. Up under the lights, play his things.